some in this message a little bit. We've got some pictures for you. Um, I, I will be very honest with you that um, I worked all day long yesterday. Not sure if I'd have to speak her this morning. I even typed my message. I don't type my message. I have a automatic memory to my own handwriting. It's craziness. Most people out in the world call me the, the classic preacher because I write my notes out. Most of them use iPads. But I will tell you this, um, I, I typed it, I even ran to Staples at 7.30 last night because I'd ran out of ink. I had it all in a folder and highlighted. Uh, and then in the middle of the night, oh, this incredible wrestling match went on between the Lord and I. And about 6 this morning, I succumbed, um, ran up here and looked for something, even nabbed Lee Ann. I told Marissa I'll do my own hair. Marissa, this is not me doing her own hair. She already knew that, I'm sure, but grabbed Lee Ann and do my hair. And while I sat there, the Lord just um, ministered to my soul and, and changed it. I'm going to stay with Get Your Brave On. I'm going to change, I'm going to save that message. Um, we're going to do a series, some Sundays coming up, on Get Your Brave On. Um, Pastor has a couple of speaking engagements. I'll be filling the pulpit for him. And, um, but I want to say this. I really felt that the Lord moved this. And there's, there's a couple of reasons why I think that happens. Um, maybe I didn't ask him enough yesterday morning. I'm, you know, I'm very dependent on the Holy Spirit. I'm not one just to jump. And secondly, it might be that um, someone that needs that is not here this morning, but the people that are here this morning need this. Does that make sense? And I always want to arm. So I'm speaking this morning on Get Your Brave On, Holy Ground. Everyone say Holy Ground. Turn to the book of Exodus and the second chapter. We'll get right into the word. I'll visit a little bit about our trip in the message. Going to drink a little water. Feeling a little dried out this morning from lack of sleep, but it's all good. Exodus 2, holy ground. You're on holy ground this morning, and that is for sure. Exodus 2 and verse 23. Now it happened in the process of time. Someone say the process of time. That the king of Egypt died, and then the children of Israel groaned. Now watch the wording. Hallelujah, Holy Spirit. Watch the wording of the way this is written. The children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob, and God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. I may look up for a moment, and I'm going to pray in just a moment, and, and, and maybe read more after we get into this, but you know what? It's one thing to know that you're loved, but it's another thing to be acknowledged. Anybody with me on this? I mean, when you acknowledge somebody, it means the world. When you acknowledge someone for maybe, I may cry through this whole thing, through what they have been in your life, it means the world. But when God acknowledges you, it is incredible. And often, sometimes the acknowledgement that we feel like we're missing um, may be held up in the mouth of someone who is not being obedient. Can you say amen? Um, maybe the acknowledgement that God wants to give you might be held up in me, but God acknowledged him. I want to read one verse, familiar passage, and we'll walk through it. But it's when um, verse six and the angel of the verse two, I'm sorry, of verse of chapter three. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, Moses looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, 
why the bush does not burn. I'm going to tell you, whenever you have a face-to-face encounter with God, whatever that looks like for you, turn to look. Hold on to the moment. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside, then the Lord said to him, Moses, Moses, or Moshe, Moshe in Hebrew. And he said, here I am. And the Lord said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off or your shoes off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Look at your neighbor and say, the place where you sit is holy ground. Father, we welcome the presence of your Holy Spirit. I love you, Holy Spirit. I love when you just get in the midst of all my planning and organizing. I love you so much. I thank you for your direction, your wisdom, and your anointing. You're so dear to me today, more than any other day when you're so dear. I pray for you to speak to my brothers and sisters. I pray for you to bring to the table what you want and to keep out what you don't. And I submit my vessel to you, Lord. You love your children, and it is them that you came for today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Um, I love this um, Get your brave on holy ground. They probably brought up a picture when I came up of California. And um, that's where we were. That's the view, one of the five views out of our window. It's funny because when I lived in holy ground, my, when I lived in California, I did not know I was on holy ground. There are many places you will pass through in your life that you will not know it is holy ground. That you will not know what God is working in you and through you. And, and furthermore, what God will bring forth from the broken places in your life. Can you say amen? I didn't know what we were discussing last night. The church of God appointed my father to California. And um, he had another appointment. He was supposed to go to Indiana. We didn't know this. I don't want to go into too much details of how this happens. But oh, it's kind of a shock value. And uh, a group of men decide where you'll be appointed. And after 14 years of living in Tennessee... This group of men appointed my dad to California. And um, just discussing this yesterday with my father and my sister, um, my father went and talked to the officials and asked them to consider sending him somewhere else. My grandma, there's just many variables about that, but they said, no, we feel like you're supposed to go. And we went. And um, like most places that we live, there was the good, the bad, and the ugly. I want to submit to you this morning that Moses is on the backside of the desert. Everyone knows that. Moses has been there for 40 years. Moses, as you know, killed someone in Egypt. He runs for his life. He's on the backside of the desert. And I want to tell you and I today in our spirit, at moments that we feel forgotten, at moments that we cannot see what God is working through us and in us, Anybody else ever been there? It is holy ground. Someone say holy ground. You see, here is a fabulous statement. When man overlooks you, that's fine. Just stay in the wilderness till God comes to get you. Come on, somebody. When you're in a hard place, a wilderness place, a place when you're maybe battling anxiety or you're battling um, financial challenges or battling things in your family, and it doesn't feel like or in your job that you're in holy ground, guess what? You may often feel forgotten by God. The children of Israel were crying. You see, it's an awful thing through my years of being a parent when either one of my daughters said to me, and it was rare they ever said, I don't feel like you love me and they really never said those words but there was things they said that let me know they didn't really believe in that moment that I love them as a parent is there anything more grievous
this than that? Is there anything that crushes you more than that? You see, as an earthly parent, and, and I was always able to walk them through and get the situation. It was usually because I said, you shouldn't date that guy. Come on, somebody. It was usually because I said, give me your phone. Come on, somebody. It was usually because you got to be in at midnight and where in the heck are you? Come on, somebody. That they felt in that moment, I didn't love them, but my love was never stronger than it was in that moment. And I want to tell you and I, if as parents, if at friends, when we truly love our spouse or we truly love our brother or sister, our mother, whatever that looks like for you, and we feel they don't know that we love them, how grievous that is. But let me say something to you and I. When the children of Israel are crying out to God, they feel forgotten. They've been there for a long time. They've been in their own wilderness in Egypt. Moses is in his own wilderness out on Sinai. He's way out here at Mount Horeb. He's feeling like he's forgotten. But the incredible thing is, I really don't need you to come get me when I'm in the wilderness. I don't need President Obama to come get me, most certainly, when I'm in the wilderness. I don't need Oprah to come get me. I don't need Bill Gates to come get me. I need God to come to my desert and say, you are, come on somebody, you are standing on holy ground. Give him a praise this morning. And I love the action verbs that the writer of Exodus uses. I love how he says, God heard, God saw, God felt, God remembered. This is all action words that are going on. Action words that God is saying. You know what? I realize Moses, and this is to each one of you and me this morning by the Spirit, because I don't have notes. I'm just listening to as he spoke to me this morning. There are seasons in our life where we see great and wonderful miracles. And then there's a long period of time. Can I get an amen from anybody that we don't see miracles? Come on. We see the keeping mercies from God. And sometimes that's greater than a miracle. Can I get an amen? Because the keeping mercies of God gets me up in the morning. And if I'm too loud, I'm trying to hold my mic down. So y'all just tell me. It gets me up in the morning. It keeps me going when I'm punching in the clock and I don't want to be at work. Can I get an amen from anybody? When the clothes are building up, can I get an amen from any woman in the house? When there's dishes piled up, when the bills are piled up, the keeping mercies of the Lord are incredible. But here's the deal. There are seasons when you don't see as much of the miracles before you. But guess what? God says to you and I this morning, as he said to Moses, you are on holy ground because I am with you and I am for you and I am against all that is against you. So wherever you find yourself today, Day, know that if God is with you, you stand on holy ground. Somebody praise him for that this morning. So we see he comes for Moses. He comes for Moses to say, I know what you've seen and what you felt. I know you had this miraculous birth when your mama put you out in the Nile. I taught on that a few weeks ago. And you were saved from the destruction of evil Pharaoh. I know the miracle when you were taken into the house of Pharaoh and raised in royal, 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 I'll get it out here, royal reign and raised in a house of great wealth. I know that miracle, but I also know that for 40 years you've wondered, where are the miracles of the great I am? Where is he? 
I have not seen him. I have not touched him. I have not known him. I am sure that in the wilderness angel, Moses believed in God. I know that he did. I know he believed with God with all of his heart. I know he kept serving every day for his father-in-law, Jethro, in the desert. But I also know he had to wonder, where are you, God? Was that season of my life the only blessed and holy season I'll ever know when things came so easy and miracles were so profound and you were moving and I, I got called up front and let me just make it plain to where you and I live and called out and things were just glorious and everything at work was great. Everything at church was great. Everything in my family was great. But God, there's been a season where I've seen your keeping mercies and I thank you for it. And I praise you for it. But I want to tell you, God, where is the miracles? Where is the prodigal children coming home to you? Where is these miracles like I saw at the time of my birth? God shows up in a burning bush. But I have news for you and I today that God was present in the desert every day of Moses' life. And God in his eternal sovereignty and omnipotence was already working all things according to the pleasure of who he is. So let me say to you today, listen to this statement. This is just the every way I know to say it. There were no hints, no premonition, no special signs to alert Moses to the fact that God himself would break the silence that day and that Moses's life would change and the turnaround would start coming, not only for Moses, but for God's people. That he didn't wake up that morning and grab his shepherd's staff and say, Ooh, I got God bumps today. I feel like something supernatural is going to happen. I mean, thank God when we get that little feeling. But most days in my life, I have found that God just shows up without any goosey boosies coming, but just shows up in one place at one time and says, I did this because I am God. So don't be discouraged. If you don't feel a hint or a premonition or any kind of moment that makes you think God is going to break through, he is true to who he is and he breaks through when he wants to break through. Somebody praise him this morning. God is on the brink of invading your life. Tell your neighbor that God is on the brink of invading your life. We, I revisited my high school, second picture, in Southern California. I couldn't really bring you the best picture. This is a picture of the cafeteria. And, um, you know, when I went there, it was so huge. But um, when I walked into it, it was so small. Anybody ever been there? <laughs> Nothing is ever like it. I mean, when you're, when the first day I walked into that cafeteria and they asked me, I mean, I'd gone to Cleveland High. They fried chicken, Matt Decker, and corn and mashed potatoes at Cleveland High School. I mean, you had a big old tray of Southern cooking. But the first day, I walked up to the line at Upland High School and my choices were a burrito or a taco. I was freaked out. And so amidst hundreds of people, it felt like, they said, and what will you have, young lady? And I said, I have a burrito. I have a, however I said it, a hundred people got quiet and looked over at me. Who is the alien that has moved among us? Who is the Southern person? The thing about this that I realized, I didn't realize it was holy ground. This doesn't matter. But on a walk there, the school wasn't in. It was Halloween day. They'd taken off, but the teachers were there. I went to the guidance counseling, asked some of the teachers were still there, told what year I graduated. Standing there, Susan, I admit, because I usually admit stupid things, I pondered, do I tell them I was homecoming queen 1979? 
I mean, do I bring that up here, standing here? It's like the Holy Spirit said, I don't think so. I don't think anyone will care. You're right, you're right. Don't bring that up. That would just look stupid. So I just begin to have a conversation with her. But reliving that and walking out in the midst of that school, I remember the first day I went there, I didn't know I was on holy ground. I'll tell you how it was holy in a moment. I didn't know. And when I went to the wrong lunch, not knowing the scheduling is so different and no classes are in, everything's outside. You walk from history outside to science. And uh, I went to the wrong lunch. And when I walked into my driver's ed class and they were going, the teacher who I found out was like evil, evil, evil man, like the villain of every Disney movie you've ever wanted to see. And uh, when he said, where you been, young lady? You're 40 minutes later. I said, I've been to lunch, sir. And the whole class just lost it. And several people told me later, if you had not had that cute southern accent, he would have publicly stoned you. I remember, though, not knowing it was holy ground. It was there that a small Christian body united and a bunch of other people and voted for me to be queen. I'm not going to relive that. But as I stood there, I remembered why God did that every time I do get out of my seat, every time I take the crown away from the one to be God and I put it on my head, there's always a whisper. That's what that was all about. I was going to teach you how to be a crown restorer. I didn't do this so it would make anybody impressed with you. I did it to encourage a small remnant that loved Jesus and were holding on to everything in a school that had 4,000 students. I did it to uphold my name and I did it to teach you. You know, I think we need to remember that some of the blessings in our life are not for us. Can I get an amen? The blessings, the healings, the things that God has brought you through. It's not just so we can stand up and say all of this. It's so we can become restorers and repairers and givers of healing and life. Can you give Jesus a hand for that? We are on holy ground when we do this. Those blessings come to us for a reason. I love that God heard. He remembered his covenant. I love that we're on holy ground and God remembers his covenant with Jesus Christ, our Lord. As I stood there and then I visited a few days later the church where Pastor Hank and I first got married. I think that comes up next. And as I visited that church in Ontario, you can't see it real well. I sat out in the parking lot. I revisited my old house in Upland. Beautiful foothills. Every day I drove and I looked at mountains, Christopher, and Mount Baldy. Just beautiful. The trees in Upland. It's the foothills of the mountain. It's gorgeous 30 minutes from Disneyland 30 minutes from Orange County and as I saw that church and sat in the parking lot I thought so much about what God did holy ground I remembered this picture and um, of Pastor Hank and I looking so young and innocent um, and, and at our wedding no I'm sorry the wedding picture if we can find it sorry but when we look cute in that picture I've got a hat on that's very cute that's from Easter and Susan Vernon is actually in the background if you ever want to look at it. and that's not it either that's okay we'll just um, we'll just we'll just hold those and we'll hold that right there but um, at any rate looking at that church sitting in the parking lot like Moses I remembered that church that became to me a symbol everyone say a symbol a symbol of defeat a symbol of things that can't go right in your life I remembered that we have to view the things in our life in the proper perspective someone say the proper perspective I remembered the waiting game that I went through after our divorce I remember feeling anxious and I remembered the scripture in Psalms 4 where I kind of get the how to get your brave on from it says be anxious someone say be anxious for nothing 
Come on, say it again. Be anxious for nothing. Man, is that a goal or what? Anybody got that yet? Be anxious for nothing. You know when I break that down, what that means to me? No thing. Someone say no thing. But in everything, in prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses your understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. This is interesting to me because as we revisited um, our house, the house, hopefully you got that one. The house, it looks like it's dark at night as you can't hardly see it. It was so dark you can't see it. But listen to me. My children sometimes had irrational anxiety. Your children? I mean, my nephews. Nephews, my nieces, and my children hated that guy at Chuck E. Cheese. Anybody ever been there? I mean, every time he would come out and dance, I don't want to see him. I hate him. If he would just stop dancing, and then they would look at their friends and cry and wail. And it didn't matter how many times we said, Don't be afraid. He can't come close to you. They were still afraid. And Christine, when we drove into that neighborhood, which is, you know, it's the house Jesus walked me back through when he healed me. In, in, a, in a vision prayer, which is for another message. And I'm wanting to have a moment. And Christine is like, lock the doors, Daddy. Lock the doors. Don't roll down the windows, Daddy. Daddy, just get us out of here, Daddy. And I'm like, these houses go for $400,000 now. But California is different, so a few houses down. You see some questionable things. But she was scared. We took her to Hollywood. Now, when we took Chris Courtney to Hollywood, I looked at her daddy, and I said, I will don't ever let this child come back to Hollywood. We got on Hollywood Boulevard. She came alive. She was getting pictures with Edward Scissorhands. She was getting pictures with every odd character hanging out on Hollywood Drive. Christine went into a mode that I honestly had to hold back the slap. You ever been there? I, I got to get out of here. The first thing we stepped on Hollywood Drive, there was a man on the corner screaming obscenities. I'm not even going to say what he was saying. He wasn't preaching, people. Someone said he wasn't preaching. But he was screaming obscenities. And she was like, we've got to get out of here. I want to go back to the car. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. I don't, we got to get to the car. Well, her dad is having a conversation because everyone's passing in pamphlets wanting you to go ride and see where the stars live, which is a crock because they really don't know where they, I wouldn't suggest that. So he's trying to get my attention. He gets so mad because we're walking so fast because Christine's moving me along like get me away from the psycho weirdos and everyone passing that he takes the map to the Hollywood star. You know, there's no such fun as fun for the, no such thing as fun for the whole family on vacation. You know that, right? No such thing, people. No such thing. So, I mean, you know, you have your moments and hold on to those. But don't ever think everyone in the family is going to have fun at the same time. You need to put that expectation to bed. Someone say amen. You've been there and you've done that. So he's trying to get us, Maria, to go look at the Hollywood homes. And he's mad because we're walking. So I look back and he just throws it down. He throws down. The, and I said, what are you doing? And he said, I was trying to talk to you about seeing the stars home. I said, I already Googled that. I already read all the reviews. And we're not going to do that. But that's just, that's just Pastor Hannah. I goes, whatever. And so he gets up. But Christine was so afraid of everything. She was tormented by everything. Until we got into Hard Rock Cafe. Her dad and I were trying to read this thing of the artist of how they got to the being stars. And it's like a walkway they put in Hollywood. And we're trying to read it. We finally got her into Hard Rock Cafe. And she was fine. But then when we went to Rodeo Drive, Beverly Hills she arose and came forth like a resurrected Lazarus people she is like these are my people I love it here these are my people I mean I lose her she goes up into an art studio and I'm FaceTiming Courtney and I said hold on I gotta find Christine dear God I had Larry out of my sight she's gone and she's on the upper level of a Picasso art gallery 
discussing with the director of the art gallery why Picasso painted this picture. And he's trying to talk her into buying it for her sister and her brother-in-law. First of all, I thought they would hate that painting. And second of all, I don't have enough means in the world to buy it. And thirdly, I don't like it. I'm not going to buy it. But then it becomes a discussion. And we couldn't get her out of there. But irrational fears. One of my ministry friends told me recently he took his child to see Disney on Ice. It was called Princesses and Heroes. But what they forgot to tell you, it was Princesses, Villains, and Heroes. So the whole way through it, the little girl, what's the Ursula? Everything like, is Ursula coming out? I mean, you know, when you put down a bunch of money, come on somebody, and you get your kid or your grandkid in there, and they're like, I don't want to see Ursula. Like we took Christine to see Nemo when she was three. She screamed in the theater, I want my daddy, I hate Nemo. And I mean, it just went on and on. I mean, I had to get her out. Come on, irrational. Someone say irrational. The children of Israel had irrational anxiety and fear. But the thing is, he took his little girl the next day to Billy Graham's. He just celebrated his birthday, Billy Graham. Took him to his homestead. You can go and view. It's like a museum of Billy Graham. And the whole way through, he said, you would have thought we took her to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Because she kept saying, is Billy Graham going to come out? I don't want to see Billy Graham. Is he in the next room? And, you know, her daddy's trying to tell her. Sometimes fear and anxiety is irrational. And it was irrational rational for the children of Israel but this is the key it says be anxious for nothing someone say be anxious for nothing here's the cool thing about um, irrational anxiety the word I usually don't do a lot of Greek words because most of us can't get the English words amen the Greek word for anxious is interesting it appears 17 times in the New Testament the word is meramonte everyone say meramonte now call yourself a Greek scholar. Congratulations. Marimonte. What does that sound like? Marinate. Marinate. And the more we marinate, the Bible says be not anxious. We're talking about you being on holy ground and being brave. The more we marinate our anxiety, we get all tied up in knots. Anybody say amen? We get double knotted up. We begin to marinate on the way things can go wrong. A seven-day plan for dread and fear. Come on. You see, the interesting thing is in Philippians 2... Marissa, that word appears again. Listen to this. There are times to be concerned, but we are not to have needless anxiety. There are times to be concerned, but not needless anxiety. But the same word for needless anxiety, Maramonte, is spoken in Philippians 2 when Paul speaks to the church and he says, I have no one. And I, this is such a beautiful statement to me as a pastor. I have no one but Timothy who has genuine concern for the things I have concern for. Paul was saying, I ain't looking for a, butt, a boatload. Sorry. I, I, sorry. I ain't looking for a big group of people. He said, I only have one person that has genuine concern for the things I care about. Guess what that word is there? Miramonte. Genuine concern. It means part of learning to be brave and realizing we're on holy ground for Moses who's got to go back to Egypt, for the Israelites who've got to come out of Egypt, for you and I where we live, is to discern between genuine concern and needless anxiety. Amen? Needless that knots us up. And sometimes we go through situations and we handle it with strength. We handle it with God's courage. That's in that moment when we know it's a genuine concern but we're trusting God. But needless anxiety says you're never going to get through this. 
Needless anxiety paints a picture on your mind. As most of you know, that's how I broke into a house, which I've been retelling that story. I'm telling you, people just go nuts over that ridiculous story. When I broke into a house because I was afraid because the man was stalking me, but the man lived in the house where I broke into the house. But, you know, I was so anxious. And in my mind, I was convinced he was killing me and throwing my carcass in his back seat. But in, in actuality, he was trying to get home to see his mother. And in that moment... Fear and anxiety began to put things together that don't cause, to, not supposed to be together. You and I have got to learn to interpret. Is this a genuine concern? Then I'm going to trust God with it. This is a genuine concern. I'm concerned about my children. I'm concerned about the economy. I'm concerned about so many things right now. But I refuse to let myself, come on somebody, marinate in everything wrong, in every way I can get Ebola, come on somebody, in every way I can pick up sickness and disease. I think in some way 24-hour news has become a curse for all of us. 24-hour news that takes us around the world and shows us, I mean, as a Christian, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters, but I can get that through the martyrs. I get emails from the martyrs about the persecuted church every week. But to watch every battle in every country, and sometimes it makes you so tied up knots, you don't even know. Your kids ask you something. Your spouse asks you, you're like, what? What did you say? And you don't even know. Come on, somebody. You don't even know why you are edgy like the tin man and dry. Come on, somebody. But this needless 24-hour cycle, marinating over things, over things, and over things. How do we do this? How do we do that? How does this happen? How does that happen? You know what I'm saying? This is what the scripture says. Be anxious for nothing. Someone say, it's nothing but a thing. Look at your neighbor and say, it's nothing but a thing. And Romans 8 and 31 says, what shall we say in response to these things that want to take us to needless anxiety? We say, no, we are on holy ground. This is a concern, but I refuse to be wrapped up in needless anxiety about what's going to happen because what I say, if God be for me, who can be against me? And then Paul goes on to say all these things. Someone say these things. Someone say these things. He says that all these things. Moses, you're on holy ground. Rhonda Davis, you're on holy ground. Donnie Swafford, you're on holy ground right now. When you go to work, you're on holy ground. What do we say to these things? He says, all these things, we are more than conquerors. Death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, or future, or anything in creation. What does that mean? These things. Someone say, these things. Childlessness, bankruptcy, um, addiction, homelessness, whatever can, a disease in our parents. Some of us are in the sandwich uh, generation. My mother-in-law looked at me the other day. She goes, you know you're in the sandwich generation. My mother-in-law is so smart. She really is brilliant. And she's very to the point. You know you're in the sandwich generation. You, you, you have a lot of concern on you right now. You need to be concerned about your father and mother-in-law and about your mother and your dad and your kids and your grandkids. You're in a horrible place. <laughs> and I said, yes, mother, I know that, mom. I know that. But, you know, God is with me. Of course, she went on to make it positive. But we know what? Whatever that thing is. 
My mama has Alzheimer's. My daddy is frailing in his physical body. I can be wrapped up in needless anxiety or I can say this is a genuine concern, but I'm going to throw this situation back to the same God who held my life together some 30 years ago. I'm going to throw this thing back to the same God who got me out of the last thing he got me out of. He has not changed. People come and go, but you and I woke up this morning to a God who cannot fail. His mercies are new every morning and he stays the same same. Someone praise him this morning. We're almost done. Come on, give him a shout this morning. So when you're faced with a thing, Moses, Rhonda, Chris, David, Austin, you don't know where that fits. That's what that blank statement is for. That's the balance between genuine concern and needless anxiety. I need to be anxious for nothing. I need to learn to speak peace. When the disciples were out in that boat with Jesus, they didn't know they were on holy ground, Matt. The storm came up, the squall is for a message coming up. Be brave, but let me just pack it right here for a moment. They didn't know that they were on holy ground. Jesus knew the weather pattern. He's the one that got them into the boat. And they're crossing. And they're facing something which to you and I can just mean life's challenges. The storm comes up in Jesus. They wake him up and, and they say, don't you care that we perish? Oh, my mercy. It wasn't the fact that they woke him up, Misty. It was what they said that broke his heart. Don't you care? Don't you care that I don't have enough money to pay my bills? Don't you care that my daughter is hurting? Don't you care that my son needs you? Don't you care that my business is failing? Don't you care about what my parents are going through? If it breaks our heart with our earthly children, how much more does it break Abba's heart? I think that's what made Jesus rise up and say, Oh, you of little faith. First of all, how can you believe I don't care for you? How can you believe when you've walked with me and you've seen me? You've not only seen my miracles, but you've seen the love that is the battery to my faith. You've seen the love and how it works and what I do for others. How can you feel or how can you believe that I don't care for you? And Jesus stood up and said those, be quiet, be still. And the storm was at peace. But I believe that he didn't do that to test them, but to teach them. Listen to me. It's not the waves outside of you that you need to be concerned about. It's the waves inside of you. It is the waves of anxiety. It is the waves of overwhelming responsibility. It is the waves of things coming and going in your life. It's those waves. Jesus was with them in present Maria, but he was going to go to heaven. Today, we have his spirit, but we don't see Jesus. But Jesus was in the very, um, what was the word? He was in the something of the ship. I can't remember who remembers it. He was in the bow of the ship. Jesus is in the center of the bow of who I am. But he expects you and I, when we are on holy ground, to say, I don't see that this is holy ground. I don't know for sure that this is holy ground. But this thing, one thing I do know, I've got to learn to speak to my own ways and say, be anxious for nothing. Peace be still. Peace be still. That's why when 
we take our children, they have irrational fears. We must teach them as our parents hopefully taught us. If they didn't, be the first in your generation to tell your children, you've got to learn to speak peace when anxiety ties you up in knots and say, this is a concern, but I refuse to interpret this as a needless anxiety. The waves out there of the world may affect me. Yes, the economy may come and go. Ebola terrorism, we'll talk about that. It may come and go, but if I hold on to my peace, the Bible says if I'm anxious for nothing, but with thanksgiving, I thank him for everything he's done and then submit to him everything I need him to do. He will guard my heart and my mind with peace that goes way past understanding. Somebody give God a praise in this house. Come on, give him a big praise. It's worth it. We got to, Josh, if you'll come help me, we got to learn, or Chris, whoever's going to do it, we've got to learn to speak to our own waves inside of us. You've got to learn to say to your own anxiety, peace, be still. Jesus is in here because people can get so tied up right now over the news, so tied up over situations, so tied up over what is going through and what they're going through. We visited um, a church where my husband got saved. We didn't know that we were, Pastor Hank, I'm speaking of, we didn't know that we were on holy ground in this church. Pastor Hank was building that roof. Um, we took, a, that's one of the pictures I took of the roof. You just keep it up. Um, he built the roof as he was failing on drugs, as he was losing it all. He was one of the contractor on many jobs, and that was one of them. And he had a crew building that roof. We didn't know in that church where I was the children's pastor, and um, I taught the children, oh, loved it, just treated it like it was the biggest thing in the universe. So I prayed, fasted, took my word into those children, loved it. I was a pastor to those children, even before I knew I had that gift. And uh, we didn't know, and you can start whenever you're ready, Josh. We didn't know that that was holy ground. Someone look at your neighbor and say, you're standing. You're standing. Come on, say, you're standing on holy ground. But it was that church that uh, I drove to by myself when Hank, Pastor Hank lost everything on drugs, still living with him at the time. It was that church I would go into worship by myself time after time after time again. It was that church that I just... Everything began to break down at the same time that God was using me. But it was also in that church that after I left Pastor Hank, or was one day from flying out, I'd left him two weeks before, that he went to church on a Sunday night, and you know the story. The Spirit of the Lord began to move. And that frail 108-pound about drug addict got up and walked to the altar. The woman that led him to the altar, couldn't be with us, she's in heaven. But we, a lot of our friends came in to eat with us and be in church, in fact, we had more people at the church seeing us than went to the church, but it's a good church. We just, there's so many people that came from all over California to see us. And uh, we sat and we visited, but the Wednesday night before we ministered in Anaheim, Brother Gary, we, we walked in there. And interesting enough, it's a Korean church. That whole area is, in Vietnamese, like the little Saigon is very close to there. And, um, we walked in and the Koreans were getting ready. The, the Asian people are such a beautiful people. In fact, when we arrived in California, Chris, you'll love this. Christine, who we've taught to not be prejudicial at all, looked at me and she said, oh my goodness, why are there so many foreigners here? And do we call them foreigners? And I just giggled. I said, well, this is a, 
This is a melting pot. First of all, I thought I'm her teacher. Yikes, I haven't taught her that right word. But then I thought, you know, I explained to her how it was a melting pot. There's just so many nationalities. In our hotel, um, Embassy Suites, where there's just so many families, but so many women and men and children from Japan, and they're just such beautiful people. They just thank you, thank you, I Japan, Japan, you know, and they're just so kind. And the Koreans were so kind. We went in there, and I didn't try to tell the story. They're getting ready to have a prayer meeting. The Koreans are big into prayer, and I just looked at the woman. I said, "We used to go here." I said, "My, my husband built this roof," and she just keeps, you know, trying to say and, and bending over. And then she just keeps saying, "Grace, Grace, Hallelujah, Hallelujah." Grace, grace, hallelujah, hallelujah. And before I knew it, Pastor Hank and I just tears were streaming down our face because we said, that's exactly right. Grace, grace, and hallelujah. Grace got us through that, and grace gets you through the moments you don't know you're on holy ground. In that place, as Hosea said, where everything was stolen was the place that man gave up everything to God, all of those drugs to God right there. But grace and hallelujah sums it up. And the name of the church now is grace. Someone say grace. And I love it that the Lord can teach us that He is on holy ground with us wherever we go. The healings that took place in my life, the verses that I've often said that I want to say this morning, fulfill that is for someone. Christianity is the only hope for this broken world. Because there's no other way for the broken to get the nails they need to rebuild. The only way you and I can rebuild is from the nails of Calvary. We don't often know we're on holy ground when we're in the workplace. But if God is within us, what He says to Moses is, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. But you've been on holy ground a long time, Moses. I've heard your cry. I've seen your heart. I've heard the cries of my people. And what he goes on to say is all action verbs, which means he's doing something. And I'm coming to take you from the place you are to the place you're going to be. It says in Hebrews 4 and 15, Christ, our wounded healer, is touched with the feeling. Everyone say feeling of our infirmities. It would be enough if he just understood the fact. But he understands the feelings of our pain, rejection, abuse, and failures. I mean, it's one thing that he understands facts. Doctors understand facts. But Jesus understands the feelings. He understands the feelings. And so the place, um, the next church that they're going to show you, the place where God restored our marriage is an outside of a building. If you can see it, if you don't have it, it's okay. We'll keep it on that. But where God restored and healed in that process. So that's my house. It went on. Let's leave it there. That's good. That's 740 Walker Street. That's even better. Sitting in that house when the Lord healed me. I began to understand how every ground before me had been holy. One of the songs that Josh is playing is a song that I would often play. Uh, Cheryl Pruitt-Salem, Miss America, 1980s mystery. She had just come out with it. We're standing on holy ground. Jerron Davis wrote it. In fact, recently, Jerron Davis and the Archers and I were interacting on Facebook about that song. It was just coming out, and it says we're standing on holy ground. And I know that there are angels all around. So let us praise the name of Jesus now because you and I are standing on holy ground. I would play that song when I was going through healing while God was excavating my own personal ruins, while He was digging up the swamp that I'd gotten myself into and, and just dissecting my mind, my emotions, my heart, which He still does. You see, in worship, when we come to worship, that's what He's doing. He's elevating us above the waves of this world. You know, and when you elevate, it changes the atmospheric pressure. And God just began to get me on holy ground by 
worshiping him. And God began to heal. I'm not here to tell that this morning. But often we think, Jeremiah 10 and 19, Israel says to God, Woe to me for my wound is incurable and I must endure it. What she was saying, what we often say, when we don't see semblances of things, we know that there's things just not exactly right in our home or exactly right in our mind, our emotions. Hey guys, I'll just be honest like I am when I'm out there. We're all being healed all the time. Can I get an amen? None of us have got a period at the end of every healing. We're all being restored back to the Father. We're all being sought out by the Holy Spirit daily saying, I hear bitterness in there like a rattle in a bad car. I hear something going on, a little unforgiveness. You've gotten dry, my son. You've gotten on the outside, my daughter. And Holy Spirit just begins to say, I'm surveying the ruins and I want to heal that. I want to get you above that. And often, just like I would do with a car when I don't want it to go to the shop, we want to turn up the music of life even louder. I'll just work harder. I'll just drag this thing onto the next place. I'll just drag this brokenness. I'll just drag this rejection or just this all overwhelming disappointment with the things the way they have gone. Come on, somebody. I mean, so-and-so got healed and went to heaven, but why'd they have to get disease anyway? Anyone else wonder? So-and-so came back to the Lord, but why did they have to wander away anyway? Anybody else say amen? I mean, those things, that human reasoning that we have to be so careful with and take to God and not to each other. God is the one who can handle that. The Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit surveys the places we just turn life's music up. We just turn work up. We just turn busy up. And Holy Spirit says in, in worship, sometimes that's why he says, just focus on Jesus. Just elevate your mind to Christ. And let me work unhindered to get rid of that anger. You've tried everything. I remember John Price testifying on this stage. A man who was so full of anger. Unbelievable anger. You would not even comprehend how the Lord healed him. He, he sought some help, but the Lord healed him in worship. I'm going to tell you in God's presence on holy ground, there are things that God can heal that a counselor cannot fix. Come on. There are things that God can restore that no college can. There's some things that what money cannot buy for you. God can do it in his presence. You are standing on holy ground. Somebody praise him this morning. And Holy Spirit says, no, you are not going to endure that anger. You're not going to endure that unfaithfulness of every generation before you. You're going to be faithful to your job, to your spouse. You're going to be faithful to your children. You're going to pledge your feet because I am the Spirit, He would say. And I'm living inside of you. You're on holy ground. And you are not going to endure it. You're not going to drag that anxiety to the next point of your life. You're not going to drag that fear of that thing. You might face new fears, but I believe that God can put some fears to bed for you and I in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? And Holy Spirit just says, just let me work unhindered. Just let me meddle like a fine surgeon. He says, sons and daughters of the Most High God, let me work. I love God's response to Israel as I get ready to close and come back to just one thing about how Moses was on holy ground. I love God responds in Jeremiah 30, 12 to Israel when, when she said, I'll just endure. This is not healed. Or this, this anger, this unfaithfulness, this anxiety, this temper, this fearfulness, this anxiety, this low self-esteem, this lack of confidence. 
when she says, I'll just endure it. I resign myself to endure. Resign means I just give up. I'm done. And so I'll just keep moving through life and accept where I am. I mean, there's some kind of beauty in just accepting where you are. Not with God. Not with God. God is evermore, every day of your life and my life, saying, no, you will not just accept it where it is. You will believe me that you are on holy ground. You will believe me in your moments of doubt and fear that I am the Lord that can bring new life into that marriage. I'm the Lord that can bring new life into that job. I'm the Lord that can bring new life into your heart. I'm the Lord that can bring forth the things I promised you years ago. Can you say amen? And God responds in Jeremiah 30 and 12 to Israel by saying, your wound is incurable. Your injury is beyond healing. And all your allies have forsaken you. I love that. He says, you're right. You're right. What you got, it cannot be fixed. Just for a moment, you're like, whoa, God. Whoa, God. Sounds like one of those words Billy Burke would give. Whoa, God. Are you sure? But he says, no, hold on, hold on. I said all that to remind you. You got needless anxiety. Genuine concern says, I can fix it. And he says, I want you to remember that your allies, the things that you've leaned on to help you through certain things, the Zantex, Xanax, Xanax, for anxiety, let it go. If, if, if a doctor approves it, I'm not recommending anyone to stop medicine that you're on the doctor. But stop leaning on the ally of sometimes overeating or depression or hiding out. Can I get an amen? Or just withdrawing or just removing yourself. Your allies have forsaken you because they will not prop you up anymore. And I want you to know that what you got can't be healed. It can't be healed. I met so many people in AA and NA in California. I told a little bit to the Hope Girls Wednesday night. Unbelievable favor. But the ones I met that are walking in victory are the ones that said Jesus is in the center because Jesus is the only one that heals. So God says, you're right. Everything you've got can't be healed. You're right, Israel. You're in bondage. You're right, Moses. You're in the wilderness. And that's why I located you right where you are because we are not fancying this up. We are not parting this up. We're not blowing confetti. You're right. You got a problem with alcohol, brother. We're right. You're leaning on the wrong thing, sister. You're right. Your, your self-perception is, is, is off-centered of yourself. You're right. You're right. It's all out of your hands. But guess what? This is the next statement. But you will not, says the Lord, resign yourself to endure it anymore. For I, the Lord will restore complete health and wholeness to you, says the Lord your God. Whoa, somebody give him a shout of praise. Somebody give him a shout of praise in this house. Stand all over this place. Let me say something to you before we pray. What beautiful words the Lord has for you and I today. You're on holy ground. He told Moses, tell them that I am, that I am is with you. And if I may read this to you before we pray together. I am that I am is my name. One of my favorite readings. I am that I am is who with you. That's why you're on holy ground. When I'm on Hollywood Boulevard or Rodeo Drive. When I am Balboa Street, 15391, Westminster, California. When I'm at 740 Walker Street or Ash Drive, it is holy ground. Because I has not seen nor ear has heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what the Spirit has prepared for those who love God. Because He is in you. He is for you. You are all on holy ground you are on holy ground 
somebody rejoice one more minute and I will try to finish this. You are on holy ground. The Spirit of the Lord would say, look up to your Savior. For today I speak to you, my children, and I say to you, you dwell and live and exist on the holiest of grounds. For I am within you. I am breathing in you and for you. It grieves my heart when I see you tied up with needless anxiety. When I, the Spirit, am dwelling within you. Waiting and longing to speak peace to you. Would you speak peace through my power to your waves? Would you speak peace through my power to the things around you? Would you realize that because I am with you, you are a holy people and you dwell on holy ground? Is there anything too hard for the Lord your God, I say to you today? Is there anything too hard for the one who has kept you and held you in the palm of his hand? Is there anything too hard for he who has guided you, loved you, and healed you? Oh, my sons and daughters, it breaks my heart when I hear you say, don't you care? Because you cannot fathom the love of a father who gave his son your crown. Your crown was thorns. Your crown was blood. And he took off of his son the royal crown and put it on your head at Calvary. I speak to you today in power and glory from the throne room and he who loves you. I have crowned you with glory and honor. Speak peace, says the Spirit. And remember, you are on holy ground. Genuine concerns bring to me, but anxiety put peace all around it. For I am with you, says the Spirit of the Lord. And for you that sense that possibly your greatest miracles are behind you, I speak to you again. I has not seen, ear has not heard what I have prepared for you and your family. Know that I, the Lord, see you, know you, hear you, remember you, and you are on holy ground. And my love reaches for you, says the Spirit of the Lord. Please just lift your hands in response to the Holy Spirit in this room. Just please, just lift your hands to the Lord. Just worship Him for a moment. Just worship Him. Please just lift your hands and worship Him right where you are. Right where you are. I'm going to ask everyone just to move forward and just come stand in the altars. We have a song that we're going to play. I just want you to come stand. These altars are holy ground. We're just going to pray together. Don't worry. Nothing's going to happen to you down here, for me at least. Just come and stand or kneel before him. Come on, just come. I'm just going to ask you to turn the volume up of this song. Find a place to pray or to stand and remember your own holy ground. Yeah, just bring it on up, guys. I love you, Holy Spirit. All around. 
Oh, no. 